whether it's a story about peace, it's about a man who was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy boulevard and suddenly the light turned yellow just in front of him and he did the right thing. He stopped right at the crosswalk and even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection, he stopped. And there was this tailgating woman and she was furious and she honked her horn. She screamed in frustration. She missed her chance to get through the intersection. She dropped her cell phone and her makeup. This was uh, not a good scene. And as she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on the window and she looked up at the face of a very serious police officer. And the officer ordered her to exit the car with her hands up and he took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. And after a couple hours, a policeman approached the cell and opened the door, and she was escorted back to the booking desk where she uh, met with the arresting officer, and he was waiting there with her personal effects. And he said, I I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn and flipping off the guy in front of you and cussing a blue streak at him. And I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker and the choose life license plate holder and the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker and the chrome plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. Naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. Peace is so hard to find in today's times. And, you know, we can easily lose our cool. We can feel stressed. And this is what was happening when Isaiah the prophet was around as we think about his, his, uh, the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, God commissioned him to preach to Judah in a very intense time of fear and chaos and now, if it were me, if I had the opportunity to volunteer to be a prophet, I, I wouldn't do it because, you know, prophets were used oftentimes by God to, to bring forth the news of God's impending judgment for those people that were uh, walking wayward. And God used many people. He used Isaiah. He used Ezekiel. He used Jeremiah. He used Nahum and, and many others. And uh, it was never a pleasant thing and... You know, Isaiah, his name means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. What a beautiful name that is. Really the essence of this whole Christmas season, Yahweh is salvation. Isaiah ministered for 50 years and he brought certainly stern message to God's people. And tradition says that he was sawn into pieces. What a way to go after all that turmoil and trying to talk to God's people. But he was obedient to bring God's word, to bring God's message of hope to those in Judah. So let's look at the backdrop. At the time Isaiah is here, and you can see this in 2 Chronicles 28, the king of Judah was Ahaz. And he was only 20 years old when he became king. But the Bible says that Ahaz did not do right in the sight of the Lord. Now, how many times in Scripture do you have this king, he did right in the sight of the Lord, and this king, he did not do right in the sight of the Lord? I mean, God was, he was pretty clear as to who was doing right in the sight of the Lord and who was not. You know, you could consider King Ahaz as kind of being on God's naughty list, so to speak. And uh, he was a terrible king. He made molten images 
for the gods, he burned his sons in fire. He burned incense in high places. He led God's people astray. And God was intending to use kings to be able to bring them into a relationship with God, to be obedient to God. And here's King Ahaz, and he is, um, he's not doing the right thing. He did not do right in, in, in the sight of the Lord. And so God disciplined his people as he does. Doesn't he uh, discipline those that he loves? Yes, and sometimes it hurts. Now, at the time, there was the Assyrian Empire, and they were just, everybody was afraid of the Assyrians at the time. And so they were there, and then even more locally, you had the Syrian and Israel alliance together, and they were fighting Judah. And at that time, uh, they defeated Judah on many fronts. And there was uh, one part in Scripture where it says that in one day, 100,000 mighty warriors in Judah died as a result of this. And then thousands of women and children and property was taken captive. And so this is the setting in which Ahaz is being disciplined by God, but yet God wanted to tell Ahaz and have Ahaz tell the people that he was going to have this alliance between Syria and Israel go away. It was going to dissolve and there would be somewhat some peace for a period of time. And even God said to Ahaz, he said, um, I will give you a sign, whether on earth or in the heavens, that this alliance will not prevail. But Ahaz had the opportunity just to say, yeah, get, give me something that I can tell my people that we're going to have peace. But Ahaz was too proud. And he said, no. He said, I'm not going to do it. He said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And that, that's kind of his way of being kind of not, kind of a false humility. And so where everybody was fighting for peace, trying to have peace in the land, they weren't finding it because of the discipline of God. Have you ever felt the discipline of God in your life? Yeah, yeah, I know I have. It doesn't feel good, does it? <laughs> he disciplines those that he loves, but you know, sometimes we do things that we know it's wrong, but yet, he lovingly disciplines us and then we look back and we go, ah, ouch, that hurt. <laughs> but I deserved it, right? I deserved it and uh, I'm a better person because of it and God got my attention. And, uh, and that's what he, what he does at times. Um, there's a story of a little girl who said to her teacher, Miss Hayes, I, I don't want to scare you but my dad says, if my grades don't improve, somebody's going to get a spanking. <laughs> discipline, discipline. And Isaiah says in chapter 8, verse 13, It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. He's basically saying, fear the Lord, turn back to the Lord, repent. This is where we're going to find peace. And so in this passage of Isaiah 9.3, Isaiah is saying, let's look ahead now to the one who can bring ultimate peace, which is Jesus Christ. Now there was a time where there was peace in the land, all the way back in Genesis, before the fall. Remember Adam, 
he had perfect peace with God. It makes me think of like a little child holding his father's hand, just walking. You wonder what they ever talked about. I don't know, just, you know, how does a caterpillar turn into a butterfly? I don't know. God, why did you create the sloth? I don't get it. You know, there must be some conversation in that. But they had this beautiful relationship in the garden. And it was perfect. And the garden was perfect. And that relationship was perfect. But then Adam fell. He sinned. And, you know, you think of Satan kind of giving this little temptation to Adam. Why didn't Adam go to God and say, should I pay attention to this? <laughs> Shouldn't he even run to dad and, and just said, hey, is this something important? Should I eat, for the, eat this fruit or not? And God would have set him straight, but he didn't. He was looking at internally, right? And from that moment on, he sinned. And Genesis 3 says that he hid from God. He and Eve hid from God. And Scripture says that God was walking the coolness of the day. And he said, Adam, where are you? Now, I don't think God didn't know where Adam was. Right? I don't think he was going, Adam, where are you? I think he was just saying, Adam, where, where are you? Where's your heart? Where's your mind? Where's, where's this relationship that we once had? You walked away from me, and now you're, you're paying the price. Does he ask us the same question? Where are you? Where am I with, with the Lord? And I'll submit to you that it's hard during this Christmas season to focus on God. Truly to take the time and focus on God. I mean, we've got shopping, we've got visiting and decorating and eating, sending out those Christmas cards. We've got to make it personal for each person, right? Standing in lines, eating, Christmas songs, you know, driving to somebody's home long distance, watching TV specials, that, that Christmas show, um, watching commercials about joining the gym in January, <laughs> baking cookies. But, you know, all these things make us think about Christmas. We know Christmas is here. The season is here. But do we have a true peace? Do we really have this in our heart, this concept? And this is what this Advent season is all about. This is why we put out these little reminders every day just to take some time and think about what is God telling you? How is he connecting with you? How are you connecting with him? And so we, we don't have peace anymore. I'll, I'll submit to you that we have chaos, a lot of chaos. But what does it truly mean to have peace with God, outside of the definitions that we talked about, the peace man and some of those things. We know that the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And where the term peace is kind of superficial in our English language, shalom has such a rich meaning. There's, there's many layers to it. And one of the, the meanings is taken from the verb root, which is shalom, S-H-A-L-A-M. And it's used in the context of making restitution. It's a legal term. It's a restoration of something lost or stolen uh, to its proper owner or compensation for injury or loss. To make whole or complete is really what it's talking about. So you think about 
let's just say Billy, he's playing baseball in his front yard and he hits the ball and it breaks Mr. Smith's window. You know, Billy can say, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done what I've done. But does that make Mr. Smith whole or complete? He's still got a broken window, right? So somebody's got to pay the price. Somebody has to take it upon themselves to be able to make that restoration. And for Billy, that's his dad. His dad's going to have to pay for a new window and that kind of a thing. Billy can't do it on his own. He's incapable of restoring himself to Mr. Smith with the window. A sacrifice must be made. And this is an example of this restoration of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is our only way to be reconciled to God. There is no other way. Only through Jesus Christ. We can try without Jesus. We can try to be good people on God's good list, perhaps. We can go to church and feel spiritual and kind of pump our chest that I, you know, I checked it off my list for this, you know, I went Sunday and I, I went to church and I feel good about myself. We can give money to the needy. We can give somebody five bucks at the gas station and feel good about that. We can memorize scripture verses. But all these things, in and of themselves, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's just false. We're still going to be in this state where we're not restored completely with God. And we're going to feel this um, aspect of chaos still in our lives. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, And if I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Nothing. If I don't have the love of Christ, whatever I do is not going to be enough to have really a true peace with our Lord. So Jesus' death and resurrection restore man's peace with God, really back to the time that we're in the garden. Just Jesus is that intermediary that gives us the ability to be whole and complete with God. But shalom also has another meaning, a deeper meaning than, even than that, and this is from the Hebrew picture language, and it means literally to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. Let me read that again. To destroy the authority that establishes chaos. Was there chaos in the garden after Adam fell? Oh, yeah. Has it continued from here on out? Yes. His son, Cain, killed his brother Abel. I mean, how long did that take? That was just one generation of murder. And off it went, and this is where we are in this aspect of chaos. I think of chaos as that show. Remember with Maxwell Smart? <laughs> and the evil uh, organization was called Chaos. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, there's always trying to do something to Maxwell Smart and Agent 99 and those things. Um, but listen to the definition of chaos. Here's, here's some, some words that kind of paint a picture. Complete disorder and confusion. Disarray. Disorganization. Mayhem. Pandemonium. Havoc, turmoil, disruption, upheaval, uproar. I could go on and on. This is what we're talking about, chaos. And this is where we are in this world. 
And uh, I, I think briefly about chaos. Uh, I think it was last year. I don't know if you remember when I got stuck in the elevator on a Sunday morning. It was a busy morning. We're getting everything ready. And I had usually tested the elevator to make sure that the kids wouldn't get stuck in there. And um, I, I only had like a little bit of cell service. I could like barely talk to Claudia on the phone. And I, I think I yelled on the other side for somebody to get a key. And ultimately the fire department came with a few fire trucks. And I just felt in the morning that God was saying, I want you to pray more. I need more of your time. And as I was sitting in the elevator, I was thinking, okay, God, <laughs> you got my attention. I'm going I'm to pray. But all that to say is that in that chaos, I, I really had a peace because I knew that, that God was with me. And so I wasn't going to go anywhere. He wasn't going to go anywhere. We just had that special time. And, and that's kind of what he did. He made that time because I didn't make time. So you see, sin brought chaos into the orderly and peaceful world that God created, and Jesus came to restore that peace. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he did give us the opportunity to have peace in our lives? You know, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Free gift. That's what gives us peace. So let's look at Isaiah 9.6 and just look at some of the aspects, some of the attributes of Jesus here. So it starts by saying, for a child will be born to us. I love that verse because I'm a new grandfather of a little three-month-old and Silas is so cute, such a little cute cherub, you know, he's got the little dimples and everything. And, but you know he's a baby because he cries when he's hungry and he drools and he needs his diaper changed and, and all those things. That's where I go, Mom, should grandfathers have to change diapers? Who's, who's with me? They, don't, they shouldn't have to. I don't know. <laughs> no? <laughs> okay, all right. I, I have a few. I have change a few diapers in my past. But we think of Jesus as being perfect and smiling when he's hungry, right? Not, not ever crying, never needs a diaper change because he's perfect, right? But he's a baby, he's human. He was 100% human and this underscores our Messiah's humanity. And he had come as a human being in the form of a child, so he could endure the temptations that men face, yet be without sin. Listen to Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He knows what we're going through. Don't you appreciate that? He's not distancing, he's not distancing himself from that and doesn't understand what we're going through. He knows. He's been tempted. He's been through all all kinds of stuff as we read through Scripture. But he knows what we're going through. So we look at his humanity as a child. A son will be given to us. This implies his deity. Jesus was around before he was born as a child. He's always been around because he is God, the second part of the Trinity. And so he is holy. And... Um, Certainly he came in human flesh, but he 
is the Son of God. Therefore, if he is part of the Trinity and he is God's Son, he is holy. He is holy. Jesus is holy. Given to us. And then it says the government will rest on his shoulders. And this affirms his lordship. And this talks about a time in the future where Christ will reign over a literal and earthly kingdom that encompasses all kingdoms and governments of the world. And in that day, the government of the whole world will rest on his shoulders. He will be in charge. Aren't you glad? The world will submit to his authority. And Daniel says in Daniel 2.44, in the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And so as we talked about King Ahaz, as he was leading his people down a a terrible path of sin and destruction, he was stubborn, he was prideful. And this attitude that he had, it resonated, it radiated to the entire nation. They were brought down by, by King Ahaz. And we know, as much as we like to ignore the fact, but there's no earthly politician, whether it's King Ahaz or anybody in our current uh, day and age, that's going to be able to bring peace. Don't we just hope for some leader just to be able to say, I promise this, and they're, they're going to come through in their promises. But what do we see? We see this person against that person and that person against this person and, and this person was promised this but didn't come through and, and all this calamity, all this chaos going on. No priest, no king, no prime minister, governor are ever going to deal, be able to deal with our problems. I'll say stop watching the news. <laughs> Because you shouldn't be surprised at what you see, right? You should just say, okay, this is the world that we live in and pray for God's swift arrival, the second coming. Corruption, abortion, human trafficking, high taxes, immigration problems, you name it. There can be a laundry list of things that are not going to be solved until Christ comes and reigns over this world. And so Jesus Christ, this Christ child that we celebrate is the remedy. This is the ultimate remedy. He will fix everything. He is our remedy. So let's look at the way that he's been described here. First of all, he's our wonderful counselor. There's no confusion with Jesus Christ. Whatever he says, we don't go, I I, I don't get it. He doesn't say something different the next day. Whatever he says, whatever advice or counsel he gives, it's all true. He is the epitome of truth. And so if you look in Scripture at all the people that sought Jesus' counsel, he tells them the truth. And it's always wise counsel. I love it. Sometimes when I'm just not sure about something, I'm going to go to God's Word. I'm going to read everything in red, right? Those are all the, the things that Jesus said and go, okay. I get it now because he's one that helps to calibrate us toward the truth. Even the religious leaders tried to slip him up, right? He said, uh, for example, John chapter 8 with the adulterous woman. They said, well, the, 
The law says that there's an, if there's an adulterous woman, they must be stoned. She must be stoned, right? What do you say, Jesus? And don't you love it when he says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And they're just going like, ah, man. We thought we had him. <laughs> but he speaks truth. He is that wonderful counselor that we have. He is the mighty God, as it says there. He is the only God who we're to call upon. He's the only God. He's our only Savior. He's a God of order, not of chaos. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This is our God. He brings order to the troubled lives of all who surrender to him. And that's a promise. Are you surrendered to him tonight? Are you fully surrendered to Christ? Are you experiencing chaos or peace tonight? Think about that as we continue. He's the eternal father. He's existed. He didn't come to light just when he was born as a child. He's been around for all eternity. Past, present, future, He's the creator and sustainer of everything. He's the alpha, the omega, the first, and the last beginning, the end. Aren't we glad he's eternal? I'm looking forward to just spending an eternity with him in heaven. And then he is the prince of peace, as we're reflecting on tonight. Jesus was the epitome of peace. You think as the uh, baby boy brought peace at his birth. We just sang the song about silent night. I mean, the words, holy night, and we sing sleep and heavenly peace. It's that aspect of peace. Christ is here. He's in our world. He's there, and there's peace in this world. Boy, I would have just loved to take a peek at him in that manger, wouldn't you? What a great thing that would have been. The song, Hark the Herald, Angels sing glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. This was Christ's purpose. He was born to die for our sins because he loves us. And I think it's great as we think about just um, even the prophecy, even in the New Testament. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, you have Zacharias, who's John the Baptist's father. And uh, such a rich passage as we think about him looking forward to the Christ child. Look with me at verse 67. It says, and his father Zacharias, talking about John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant that w- us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear 
and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, referring to John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. Isn't that sweet? With which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What an exciting time this was. The, the imminent birth of Jesus Christ into the world to guide our feet into the way of peace. This aspect of shalom. Shalom, this ultimate sense of peace. And so that was Jesus as a baby. Now as an adult, his life modeled peace as well. Mark chapter 4 talks about when Jesus is asleep on the boat. Remember that? And so what's happening there? The waves are crashing. The disciples are going crazy. You know, the waves are going over into the boat. They probably felt kind of the, the wood kind of ebb and flow back and forth because of the pressure. And they thought they were going to die. This was going to be the time they're, they're going to die. And so they're looking for Jesus, and all of a sudden, he's sleeping. What's the deal with that? <laughs> what would you have thought? Uh, I don't get it, you know. So they're shaking him, waking him up. And uh, maybe it took him a while because he was sleeping so well. But it says, he uh, rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, hush, be still. Three words. And the sea and the wind subsided, and there was peace. And it says that they were afraid. Who is this man that the wave and the, and the wind obey him? Because... Christ was in control. He's in control of everything, right? So that was him as an adult. Is he in the upper room? Getting ready to leave the upper room and be crucified. He's spending such an intimate moment with his disciples. And he says in John 14, 25 through 27, these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. He's giving out his peace to them. And then as the Holy Spirit comes, they are filled with this peace that is from Christ. And so as he's leaving to be crucified, he, he gives out his peace, but then after he raises from the dead, he pronounces peace. John 20, 19 through 21 says, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, there's more chaos even at that time, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And basically he's saying, be ambassadors of peace into this world. He's commissioning them out to be ambassadors of Christ's peace. Isn't that beautiful? He was the epitome of peace. And so Jesus 
he's the answer. He, he solves this problem of chaos and lack of peace that we have. He, number one, he offers peace from God to all who are the recipients of his grace. You know, our sin made us enemies of God, which is a, der- a terrible and uh, terrifying thing to think about. Yet Jesus died to give us this peace. We are reconciled to God the Father through Jesus' shed blood. In John 3.16, we know it. We could recite it together, I'm sure, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we are the recipients of that to those who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He brings peace, number two, with God to those who surrender to him. Peace with God. We have that relationship back with him. And I think of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Be anxious for nothing. We have nothing to be anxious about because we are Christ's children. We, if we accept him as our Savior, we, we should have this peace, not, not chaos. But third and finally, Jesus brings us the peace of God to those who walk with him. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It should give us a peace. Peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit too, right? And so that allows us to have relationships with people. If we have this peace in our hearts, we should be able to make restitution with our neighbor. We should be able to love upon people um, without holding grudges. That, that whole demeanor that we have is because of that. And so, how's your peace meter tonight? Are you experiencing peace with God as we think about Jesus being the Prince of Peace? Sometimes we can look for peace in the wrong places. We can use alcohol or drugs to have some sense of peace. We've got to find it somewhere, and this is where we turn to. It's destructive. It's harmful to us. Sometimes we want to have a better bank account to have peace in our finances, so we work long hours where we could be spending more time with the Lord. He wants our hearts. Remember, he asked Adam, where, where are you? We could be working long hours or doing whatever it takes just to be more successful, kissing up to the boss, doing, doing whatever it is so that we have this kind of a puffed up view of ourselves so that we have success and, man, I feel good. I feel good about myself and therefore this is the peace that I'm, I'm using, my definition of peace. Perhaps it's a hobby that you're involved in. Sometimes they say, wherever you spend most of your time is your Lord. And so we have to be careful with that. Or maybe we use Facebook and we look for people that are less peaceful than us because it makes us feel better. You know, never look and go, oh man, that poor person. No, too bad. I, I'm not in that place. <laughs> you know? 
But that can happen. And so we can feel anxious and, and depressed and worried and unsettled in our hearts. And I would say if this is you, you know, settle this with, with the Lord tonight. Settle this. You know, Jesus is saying, turn to me as the answer of your peace, as your, to fill this hole that's here. Turn to me as your Lord and Savior. I speak truth to you. He's saying, spend time with me. I want to spend time with you. I want a relationship with you. And yes, you've got the Christmas music and all these things going on, and here we are right in the middle of Advent. It's not too late to say, God, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to reprioritize a few things so that I can be more in tune with you for what you want to have me experience and go through during this time because it's important. He's saying, surrender to me, cling to me in the times where you're not in a good spot. I'm there with you. Remember, I went through all this stuff as a human just so that I can sympathize with you. So he's there, there with us. And Isaiah 26, 3, wonderful verse. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And uh, this verse was very meaningful to my daughter a number of years ago. She had a miscarriage at home and uh, she was in a bad spot she emotionally, she was just in a very, very bad place, very dark place and very sad place. And this verse was one that she clung to. And she just read it and read it and read it and just said, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And uh, this got her through it. Every time she was feeling just in a funk, she would refer to this and just be uplifted. God's promise, steadfast. And uh, to the degree where she has the word steadfast in this passage, Isaiah 26, 3, on her arm. And now this is her witness to other people to go, what, what does that mean? And so she's able to use that as a witnessing opportunity. But there may be another verse that you have, but cling to the Lord in this time. He is our Prince of Peace. And I leave you with a final verse. This is Matthew 11, 28 to 30. In fact, why don't you turn there? Matthew. Matthew. I don't hear as many pages turning with all the electronics. But I see the glow, so that, that's a good thing. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. Matthew 11, excuse me. And Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean, learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you shall find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. That's a great invitation, isn't it? To rest in him. He's your answer for peace. And so as we are here tonight, thinking of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, 
I pray that this gives you an opportunity just to take a look and see where you're at and just uh, commit some time to the Lord. So let's pray. Father, I think of the bumper sticker that says, no peace, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace, and then no Jesus, N-O, no peace. And it's, um, it's real, Lord. We, we see this in Scripture and we, we can read it and uh, say this is great, but God, we don't want to put this back in the box and back in the attic, Lord. We, we want to just digest this aspect of Jesus being our Prince of Peace. Thank you, God, for sending him to pay the price for our sins, to remove the chaos out of our lives and to restore us fully with you, Lord. That's just a gift that we can't comprehend. You love us so much that you would do that for us, Lord. And I pray if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know Jesus Christ, I would just encourage you to run to him, to accept him as your Lord and Savior. He's not going to let you down. He is the answer. He is the source of, of peace and joy. And it goes beyond this Christmas season. It goes far into eternity. So make that commitment, Lord. And if there's anybody here that is unsettled about something, that they don't have peace, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. You would encourage them. You would nudge them into a closer relationship with you. I pray that that uh, each of us is able to spend more time just at your feet, Lord, not as a, as a Martha, but just Mary at your feet. It's where you want us, Lord. You want our attention. You love us, Lord. You love us deeply. So we thank you for this time tonight. I lift up each person. May you bless them. May you lift their hearts up. May we just have just an unspeakable joy during this Christmas season that, that radiates to so many people and uh, that this is a Christmas that's, that is more than we can imagine because we know that Jesus Christ is our Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.